This morning, we're going to begin a series of lessons on the book of Acts. There's at least a couple reasons why I wanted to do this. Last Sunday, we had a planning meeting for the Bible Bowl for the coming year. And it was decided then that we would study the book of Acts with our young people in the Bible Bowl. I've always wanted to preach on the text that we would be studying in Bible Bowl during that time. I'm going to get to do that this time. Number two, as I look over the congregation and those who are attending, we have a lot of visitors with us. And for the past several weeks, we've had visitors from various locations. And I believe it's important that people understand what it is to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does the Bible teach about His church? And the book of Acts, in my judgment, is the book of the Bible for one to study to be able to appreciate these things. We're going to go through the book of Acts, and much like we have some of our others doing an expository study, that is, we're going to take a a passage of study, and then we're going to try to be able to understand it. So if you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to study together verses 1 through 8. By way of introduction, Luke says, The former treatise I made with you, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. This letter, this book, is actually the second volume that Luke wrote to Theophilus. Theophilus either means lover of God or one who's loved by God. In Luke's account, he describes him as the most excellent Theophilus, indicating that he's likely some sort of a high official, most likely a Gentile because this is a Greek name. The first book, the book of Luke, was written so that he might know with certainty the things that Jesus did. And here he refers back and he says, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. But now the second one is what his disciples did and what they taught. You see, the truth is Jesus sent them out on a great commission. He sent them to go and make disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You see, what they were going and doing is making disciples. And the book of Acts shows that they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Every account of conversion in the book of Acts involves baptism. Some people look at the Lord's church occasionally and say, You folks are hung up on baptism. No. We're hung up on doing what Jesus said to do. We want to follow him. We want to follow his will. We want to follow the great commission. And that's what Jesus taught one must do. These disciples became the church of Christ. Not a denominational title. Not as if you have the church of Christ as opposed to this religious group. We're talking about the church which Jesus himself promised to establish You remember Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
We learn in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What you see is you see the gospel being preached. You see the message being preached. You see people obeying that message. And you see the Lord adding them to his body, to the church. Luke provides for us a record of growth of this group of the disciples in the book of Acts. And here's what we want to look at in verses 1 through 8. We want to look, first of all, at the proofs that is provided for us that Jesus rose from the dead. Number two, we want to look at the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling the apostles, I'm going to provide you some guidance and direction, and you'll get that when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then number three, to look at the preaching that they did very briefly. Let's begin, first of all, with this idea of proofs. Would you want to follow a Savior that you did not know was genuine and true? You see, there's a lot of people who have arisen and claimed to be a Messiah. I remember just a few years ago when David Koresh and his group of Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, and they elevated that man and said, he must be the Messiah. Before that, Jim Jones and the People's Temple who went down to Guyana and there they committed mass suicide. There were people who looked at him as if he were the Messiah. The question is, is Jesus worth following? Is he the Son of God? You know, we spent five, six lessons just in the weeks previous talking about Jesus as the master of miracles. We looked at several instances of miracles that he performed, particularly in the book of John, to prove that he was the Christ. Well, listen to Matthew 10, verses 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough that the disciple be like his teacher. If I am going to conform my life, and you will conform your life to that of Jesus... We've got to believe that he is the teacher. He is our master. In Acts 1, verse 3, we read, To whom he presented himself alive. After his suffering by many infallible proofs, he presented himself alive. What that means is that same Jesus who hung upon the cross whom the Roman soldier pierced with his side and out came blood and water, that same Jesus who was taken down and by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea was placed in Joseph's tomb, that same Jesus who stayed in that tomb for three days came out of the tomb, was alive, walked among men. People could see and know who he was. And Luke says to Theophilus, to whom he presented himself alive by many infallible proofs. Now let me key on the word infallible for just a moment. If you ask me a question, I will do my best to answer the question. But I am not infallible. I may be wrong. Some of you may ask someone else a question. And they may be wrong because they are fallible. 
But when we say something is infallible, it makes no mistakes. It has no errors. There's absolutely, positively, no doubt whatsoever that Jesus was alive. It wasn't just by one infallible proof, but here Luke says by many infallible proofs. And so what we find is that Jesus was worthy and is worthy to be followed by men. Well, what are some of these infallible proofs? If you study the New Testament accounts found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, along with other passages of Scripture, you will find out there are at least 14 individual recorded appearances of Jesus to men. I actually believe that if you count them carefully, there's at least 15, but I'll accept the 14. That's plenty. That's enough. I want you to listen to Paul as he recounts several of these in his letter to the Corinthians. He's talking about the resurrection of the dead, and he's saying, if Jesus wasn't raised, we're not going to be raised. But he said, Jesus was raised, and here's the proof. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And after that he was seen by... Oh yeah, I'm pausing for a purpose. Over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and then last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of due season. Do you hear Paul talk about all the times in which Jesus presented himself alive, how he showed himself after his suffering, after his passion, after his death? This could not be some hysterical phenomenon. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, Oh, Elvis is still alive. Somebody saw Elvis. Or somebody may even think they see someone and they think, Oh, that looks like so-and-so. Last night I was watching a singing that took place at Polishing the Pulpit of Young People. I saw this real tall guy. He had a short clothes. Uh, shaving hair, and I thought, that's got to be Aaron, until the guy turned around and had glasses on, and it wasn't Aaron. You may think you see somebody, but you could be mistaken, but not this case. Over 500 people saw him at one time, and those who saw him did so over a 40-day period of time. And those who saw him had been with him and traveled with him for the past two to three years. They know him. They know what he looks like. But you see, that's not all. When you go to John's account, you learn something about a man by the name of Thomas. We sometimes call him Doubting Thomas. When the Lord appeared the first time to the apostles, they were all there except Thomas. And Thomas once he came in among the apostles, the rest of them, 
They said, the Lord has risen. He's appeared to us. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it unless I can put my hands into his fingerprints or my fingers and that, and then my hand into his side. John 20, verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. You know what Thomas said? My Lord and my God. John also records in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and listen carefully, and our hands handled concerning the word of life. Both Luke and John and the rest of the apostles, Thomas particularly, would say, yes, we know he was alive. We touched him. We handled him. And what that did, according to verse 3, is they preached things pertaining to the kingdom. In Matthew 4, verse 17, Jesus had said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is the church. It's not here yet. It's not here yet. It's coming. It's coming. And now they're ready to preach the kingdom. Which leads me to our second point, and that is the promise. I want you to notice in verses 4 through 8, there's a promise made to the apostles. That promise was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now listen carefully as we read through this text. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard me from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, there was a promise made. That promise was not just made here at the end. That promise was made all the way back to the very beginning of the personal ministry of Christ. Do you remember John the Baptist, the role that he had? John was to go out and preach that men should repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. And when Jesus arises, and now people are able to look at him, here's what John the Baptist said in Matthew 3.11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John is saying, I baptize people in water. Jesus not only will baptize people in water, but he's going to baptize some in the Holy Spirit. When you get to John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus 
is assembled with his apostles. The twelve. They're in the upper room in Jerusalem. They are definitely disturbed because he's going to leave them. And Jesus wants to provide for them some encouragement. And he says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. He goes on to explain in chapter 14, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to remembrance all the things that I said to you. Two aspects here. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you all things. These apostles are going to need this. They're going to go out and they're going to teach. And he said, the Holy Spirit's going to teach you all things. Second, he's going to remind you, cause you to remember all the things I said to you. Get to chapter 15, same thought. He said, but when the helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So when we listen to what promise, we have the promise being made to these apostles. This promise involves some power. Very important. You remember verse 8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It wasn't as if there was just a good feeling or something such as that. When the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, they had a particular power. We read in chapter 8 and verse 19 that Simon said, Give me this power also that on anyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. The apostles had a unique power in the sense that they could impart gifts of the Holy Spirit. They had the ability to lay hands on someone and they could speak with other languages. They could lay hands on someone and they could have miraculous knowledge. In Romans chapter 15, 18 and 19, Paul writes, For we dare not to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word or in deed to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. Oh yes, he could work miracles because of that. Acts 4 verse 33, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But I want to remind you, this power is not promised to everyone, but to the apostles. It's important that we understand they uniquely needed that gift so that they could be the witnesses. That's a particular term, witnesses. Which leads me to the third aspect of our lesson, and that is the preaching. They were going to preach in a unique way. Different than I would preach or someone else today would preach. The uniqueness of that preaching was to say that we saw what he did. We're personal eyewitnesses of what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and the miracles he performed. Listen to Luke twenty-four forty-eight. And you are witnesses of these things. Jesus said, you're able to see everything and you'll be able to tell others, I saw it. I know what happened. 
or Acts 1, verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John to that day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. You see, when they're going to choose another apostle, there was a uniqueness that had to be there. He had to be a witness of the resurrected Lord. When Peter preached his sermon in Acts chapter 2, and he's preaching as fervently and powerfully as he can, he says, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Those apostles could stand there and say, we were there, we saw it, we know it was him. In Acts 3 verse 15, And they killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. We know, we were there, we saw it. And we are expected to continue in that doctrine. You and I, we may not be the witnesses. We may not have been those who were there, but God expects us to follow the same pattern because we have the witness of credible men who said they saw it. And you know what the Bible teaches? At the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. In this case, we have 12 of them or more. Actually, 500 or more. Acts 2, verse 42 And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. They continued what the apostles taught. So if you and I are going to preach today, what are we going to preach? We're going to preach that Jesus was raised from the dead. When they preached and when we preach, our message must be about Christ. We don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus. When you go to Acts 8 verse 5, you'll remember that Philip is going to go to Samaria. And he went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. In Acts chapter 9 verse 20, immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. In 2 Corinthians 2.12, Paul would write, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. I'm preaching the Lord's good news. When we teach, what we're going to do is we study through the book of Acts, we're going to look at those sermons that were preached. What was the message of them? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Theophilus could know with certainty that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. In fact, that's the reason why Luke said, I wrote the first epistle so you could know with certainty. Now he wants Theophilus to know with certainty that the church that Jesus said he was going to build, the kingdom that he said he was going to establish has come and that we can be a part of it. And it's that same message that you and I must believe today And you can become a disciple by doing what Jesus said one must do. In fact, I would suggest to you, if you want to be what they were, you've got to do what they did. Those men on the day of Pentecost, when they heard that message, they believed what the apostles told them, they repented of their sins, and they were baptized in water for the remission of those sins. And according to Acts 2.47, the Lord added those men and those women 
to His church. What a great privilege you and I have of studying this great message that God saw preserved for us. If you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, you want to become one, we want to urge you to do that. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're willing to turn your back on the sins you've committed and you're willing to be baptized, come forward to the front up here. We'll assist you in being baptized this morning. If you're a child of God and you say, you know what I've been doing? I've been struggling along. I've been letting sin rule in my life. I want to be forgiven. I want to be restored to faithfulness. You can come forward too. We'll pray with you. If you need to respond, please do as together we stand and sing.